So the first place we visited uh, was Tunisia. So we did this huge 20-hour flight from New Zealand to Melbourne to Dubai, stayed overnight, and then our next flight was from Dubai to Tunisia. And so Tunisia, the battalion were there in 43. Uh, it's part of North Africa. And um, we went there specifically because um, that is a place where Te Moana Nui Ngārimu performed deeds that uh, meant he was awarded uh, the Victoria Cross. And what's significant about that is that he's the first Māori to be awarded the Victoria Cross and then Willie Apiata is the second. Yes, okay. so for a good... 70 years there wasn't another Māori to be awarded a VC. Um, So what's also significant is, um, so we were in Tunisia, we landed in um, Tunis and then we travelled south to Sfax where he was, where he's buried, where Tawana Nuiakua was buried and that was our first cemetery that we visited. Um, We were, we met the people who looked after the cemetery um, we did we did a whakaeke or we entered in a way that um, acknowledged the soldiers that were there uh, and um, acknowledged the people that we brought with us spiritually on, on the journey. Um, we did haka, sang songs in the cemetery um, at Sfax and that was generally, oh, we did a karakia, we had a service as well, a karakia. And that was generally our ritual whenever we were at a cemetery. Now, Leanne, I guess what's significant about this is that of the 80 or so people there, you've got people who directly whakapapa to Nārimu, right? Yes, we did. We had family members. We had his grand... We had his nieces and some mokopuna with us. Um, The people I travelled with, most of them were from the east coast of the North Island of New Zealand. So they belong, uh, they're descendants of soldiers who fought with Sea Company, mm-hmm. who go from basically <clears throat> um, Ngaitai, which is eastern Bay of Plenty, round to Manutuki, which is south of Gisborne. So we had people, yeah, descendants from that area with us, but also um, initially the tour was supposed to be done in 2013, which was the 70th anniversary of the award, um, the VC, but it was delayed to this year. So that was the whole point of the trip, really, was to visit this place. And we we were the first Māori group to visit that place since 1943. Now, I'm looking at your laptop that you've opened up, and we're looking at photographs here. Now, that's a photograph of the group heading... I mean, you're heading up somewhere, right? But I just want to note something. One is how dry it is there. I mean, that looks like... Is that the desert? It's the desert, but it's not Sahara desert. It's it's very... It's it's arid. It's um, shingle ground. So that's, you know, rocky. Rocky. And so you can just imagine that would not have changed much since when the soldiers had been walking across it carrying their heavy gears, all their, you know, all the guns. All their kit. Oh, my goodness. And it's, um, we were there in May, and the battalion were there in March. So it wasn't too different. The, the, the weather conditions weren't too dissimilar 
to what they may have experienced. Now, is that, could you just describe what this photograph shows? So is the, that a clay wood, the, clay the photo we're looking at is um, the first the group that I travelled with. There were fifty of us, and we were joined in Italy by thirty school kids, but they didn't come to Tunisia with us. So this is the first. This is our group, um, and we are at the bottom of what the Māori Battalion called Hikurangi, which is um, a, sh- a small rise in the middle of nowhere <laughs> in Tunisia. It's in the south of Tunisia. Um, and this is the place where C Company of the Māori Battalion um, were given the task of taking um, the point 209 where Germans had uh, were, were basically hauled up. And um, it's, it's an interesting place because, for one, uh, there's no cover. Um, and from the records, what we understand is they did they started their attack in the afternoon, so we are there early in the morning. It's about well, not early, but it's about ten o'clock, and you can see it's clear as day. Mm. It's bright. Um, when we, when we were there, I was wondering what the hell anyone was doing here, trying to take this feature in daylight. Because there is literally no nowhere cover. to hide. Yeah, there's nowhere to hide. There's no, and you can't. Uh, that ground's really hard. You can't dig. Mm. Um, as you can see, there's only these little shrub, desert things, and there's scorpions in there. Apparently, we were mm. lucky. We didn't see any, um, but apparently there's scorp. Yeah, our tour guide told us to beware of scorpions, so we've all got shoes on. But before the soldiers would go off on missions, they would go through some some training, right? They had training here before they left. Um, Depending on the reinforcements, some had longer times, some had quite short times. Um, It just, it it was all dependent really on the number, you know, they, as the war progressed, they needed more reinforcements. So they had training here and when they got to Egypt. I mean, I can just imagine this is like nothing you would ever encounter here in Aotearoa. So you'd just be like, what the, what the heck? It was, it was quite, yeah, it's, it's, um, it's a unique environment for Māori, definitely, well, for me, I've never, you know, we come from a place where there's bush everywhere, mm. and you're, um, it's all green, and this is not green, it's brown, a lot like the khaki uniforms that they would have worn. But we, um, we, so we're at the base of Hekurangi, which is, um, and we were guided or steered up Hikurangi by our kaitaki, uh, Abraham Karaka. And he led us onto most, nearly, uh, onto all cemeteries and battlefields. Um, the interesting pl- thing about um, Hikurangi and Point 209 is the battalion didn't actually know. They thought that Hikurangi was Point 209. So what's Point 209? So Point 209 was where the um, Germans were. And that was the um, feature that the battalion was supposed to. But what does take? the reference? What, what does... Oh, it's like a map reference. Oh, right. Yeah. So now, which brings me to this question: Then is is that was it common practice for the Maori of the Two Eighth Battalion to name places after geographical landmarks back here at home? I'm not sure, but definitely with C Company, they did. They did that. Um, here they did that in Faenza. They named the start line uh, of one particular um, place 
they call it rotoria. <laughs> so I guess it's just easier. And I, and also I figure it it must be a war, you know, in t- times of war, if you give it a name that doesn't make sense to the enemy, but makes sense to you. Oh, yes. It's probably a good tactic. Yeah, so that's what they, they, yeah, I know they did name some places like that. And so this photo that we're looking at now is point two oh nine. So you can see that it, it, it looks like nothing. It just looks like a sand I mean, dune. it looks like something, but it just looks like, what? Yeah, it's interesting that this is, um, because when you read the VC citation, it says something like a large rocky outcrop. And when you're there, it's it's not a huge, you know, some of the hills in Wellington that we walk up are, are bigger than this place. But, but it's because of the actual environment that they were, you know, in the conditions that they were fighting under. Because Nadimu lost his life here. He did, he did. He died. After a night of fighting, um, he basically kept kept up the attack. They were going, f- yeah, they, they went from, I think it's about 2 o'clock in the afternoon right up to the next day fighting the next morning. And they ran out of ammunition um, the the Germans were already there, so they already had their um, they were fortified and they had guns and they were holding their space. But what's um, so, and you can see there's like no cover. The Maoris are basically fodder. But what's interesting as well is you realise that the Germans were too. They were mm. left there as well to fight. You know, it's they were left there to to hold this feature in the middle of nowhere. That's that's the freaky. I mean, I don't understand the machinations of war or why you, you know, ta- army tactics, but I just don't understand why they needed this hill in the middle of nowhere, Tunisia. You know, there's a whole heap of desert. I forget, just go around and leave it. <laughs> but then I'm not an I'm not a war tactician. But then that's why we're not an army. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> but you know. 21 people lost their lives there. That's a whole lot of whakapapa that ends at that, in that spot. Nellie, and I can see that you um, are full of all this information. So that brings me to this question. Did you find that these places that you went to, I mean, you're so familiar with them. You've read about them. You've heard the recordings. You've heard people talking about them. Did you find that they were exactly as they had been depicted or they were more or they were less it's it's um it's this it's the the usual thing you can read something as much as you you know as you can and you can understand the words and you but till you're there there's it's nothing like being there mm. so you i mean re, i i had read that citation and i had understood it i thought but when you're there it's other questions come to play because you see you see the environment mm. and you really understand that 30 metres is life or death, whereas when you're reading it, it's it's all theory. So going there, is, it's, it's as visceral, I guess, as you can get other than being in the battle. Yeah. And we were really lucky because we had the preeminent Māori battalion historian with us, um, who's also a descendant of C Company soldiers and B Company soldiers. That's Dr. Montesuta. Dr. Montesuta. So we were really, really privileged in that he would recount to us 
he he was really good actually. He'd prep us before we'd go, so we'd be on the buses or at the hotel, and he'd read read information or historical information about battles, about the people who were in that battle, and then you know we'd go to this place. And when we were at Point Two Nine, he was he actually recounted history there for us. We also had another man, Harawira Peerless, who we were really fortunate to have. He was the actual person who found Point 209 again. Um, just from he, he has an army background and just from reading um, the historical maps he found it again because um, veterans had been back in the, in the 90s, early 90s and they couldn't actually locate it because when you're there it all looks the same. Yeah. Well, I guess when you're not, it's not your um, the area that you're brought up in. Because I guess to Tunisians, they can tell the difference between you know. Yeah, they'll be able to tell the difference by the light. Yeah, the way the sand moves. Yeah. Who knows? But yeah, um, yeah we were re- really lucky in that he about ten years ago he found it and he'd visited it um, not long after. Yeah, he'd visited it and then that kind of put into action the visit that we undertook. To bug a gap, should we look at Takrina? Yes. Because we're B Company. Yes. <laughs> we are descendants of B Company. B Company. Um... Now, the story of Takrina, this is involves Hane Manahi. Now, this photo I'm looking at of you and uh, Karina Ngarupo. So, we visit, so Takrina is in Tunisia as well. It's just south of Tunis, so it's not. It's not as far south as um, Tobago Gap, uh, and it's um, it is it's the place where Hane Manahi uh, performed pretty awesome deeds um, and was awarded a DCM, which is a, a Distinguished Conduct Medal. Um, so this was so Tobago Gap was in March, and Takruna was in April. 1943. So the battalion moved. They they moved, but what was also what's also important to know is that they were um, often used as the point battalion. And we were told on trip that it's it was in, in part because they were so efficient. Right. Um, and in times of war, you want your best people on certain tasks, and so that's why they were. You know, they had been worked at Tabagi Gap and then worked again at Takruna. Different companies but still the same battalion so you've got to think about how shattered they'd have been because this is 43, war, you know, and they've been fighting since 41, some of them some of them had been in the war since 1941 so it's a long time to be battling but Takruna is um, it's, it's a, a mountain and it's inhabited by people. Yeah, I can see that. There mm-hmm. are housing, houses all on yeah. it. It's interesting because the thing with Takruna, they'd learnt from 209, you know, you don't, don't attack during the day, so they did it at night time. The Germans, again, were already in so position. So this is learning on the job, right? This is learning on the job. This is, yeah, which is good because you want to learn from your mistakes. But the Germans had already, they were already in position on Takruna. But th- thankfully... They were on the other, so we're looking at the northern side of it. Um, Those are these photos here. I can see that there's an incline to walk up. It's a huge incline. We walked up it. 
That's I, that, so Takruna was an actual was a, quite a highlight for me because well we're B Company descendants but it's um it's I guess for C Company B Company descendants this this is our our equivalent of um, 0.209. I don't know that we initially were going to walk up it, but it kind of just organically happened. We got we all got off the bus. We were just going to stand and wait. So we ended up walking up. It was an actual route, and it, it wasn't quite the, the way that the battalion took, but it was from the same side. The interesting feature of Takruna is it's a, it's a, you know, a small, but still a relative mountain, but it's surrounded by cactus. And they are big. They are bigger than me. Yeah, they're bigger than than people. And on when they're bigger than the blackberries in the valley. Bigger than the blackberries. <laughs> and and if you read accounts of the the battle at Takruna, it's um. They talk about the cactus and how people got stuck. Soldiers got cactus. stuck in the cactus, but also Germans had um, box mines through them. It's for want of a better word, trippy. When you're there, be, and, and you know, ha- just having a bit of information, but then being told it as you're walking up mm. is even—it's um, like you're really living, yeah, or wow. reliving what what they would have encountered. It's it's the whole following in the footsteps, mm. um, as close as you can get, and it's a real education in war, but also an appreciation of what. You know the sacrifices, because you know you you kind of understand it theoretically. You know you understand that our forefathers went to war, fought in these foreign lands to liberate us, um, and for some of them they paid the ultimate sacrifice in forfeiting their lives. But when you're there, you really, I mean, that's you crazy. Really see it. Yeah, you really see you it. You really feel it. And so that's Takruna, and um, yeah, so you see more, more and more cactus. Does it make a difference then that this place has been habited? So, you know, when there's when there is life happening on a place where there's been death or there's been war, how that re-energizes somewhere? Does that make a difference for the Takaruna? I think so. I think so because it's well inhabited. So, um, and it has been for a number of years. So we're looking at an image of um, an old Berber village. So Berbers are the native people of Tunisia, actually quite a lot of Africa Berbers um, are the indigenous people there. So this sounds like a village in the middle of nowhere. But it's not. <laughs> <laughs> it's surrounded by, so so Tobago Gap was different in that it was very arid and where Takruna is it's, um, it's quite green and there apparently um, when the battalion were there in '43, it was um, filled with olive trees. Tunisia is, has olive groves. You see, that looks a little bit like Kotsi Kotsi. It's yeah, <laughs> it's very um, what do you? Call so, were the actual people in this village there? Because you can't see anybody. Uh, apparently, not inhabited anymore, but oh, it, yes. um, it is from time to time. So, where where I've taken the photo from is looking down, and this is actually where the Germans were. So, it's on the southern side of Takruna. And, and, and in terms of what we were told with the war strategy stuff, that was to our benefit because they, they thought, the Germans thought that we would come up from the south, but we hit them from the northern side, which gave us an element of surprise. And the whole story around Hane, Manahi? He, he ascended, I guess this, 
we saw the wall actually I wonder if I did pull up a photo so he ascended um, from the northern side up past the cactus past the box mines and this is by himself this is by himself he had some men with him but he did this all by himself basically so up a sheer cliff apparently he climbed up so I think it's this one here and it yeah. doesn't look like anyone could climb no, up there no no I know it's crazy it's, carrying all your gear and um it's not like you're going to have climbing gear either you know picks to pull yourself up with it's not like you're falling into a nice soft mattress either if you fall off that's no. all cactus yeah Ugh. those are, and those are the cactus that are as big as if not bigger than some and humans. he did this at night time did this at night time and other men followed him because that's what allowed them to take Takruna. and so that's what he got his dcm for but you can see it's it's productive of whenua the land yeah. is very green. Yeah, you can see that. And olive trees. That's Tunisia, which was an amazing place. So how many hours sleep deprived are we at this stage? Um, I'm doing okay <laughs> at this stage. I, I didn't do too badly with my... Um, jet lag. Jet lag. <laughs> when we were at Takruna, just before we went there, we went to Infidavol Cemetery, which is where men who fought in Takruna and died were buried. And so some of our tuhoi... Um, Soldiers are buried there. And um, as we were doing our karakia, they had the midday... Um, their karakia. Their karakia, and it comes out over the speaker. Wow. So that, that was, I actually really enjoyed those aspects of the culture. Mm. It's um, interesting not, you know, being in a non-Western country. And you just think about when our soldiers were there and how... That would have just been mind-blowing yeah. for them. Yeah, it would have been amazing. You know, to come from a farm, and the Wop Wops were the only company you have are cows and the whanau, and then to go somewhere completely different and experience things you wouldn't even know about. Although, in saying that, with the Berber people, we were really lucky. We went to a place called Matamata, which is in the south of Tunisia, and that was where we stayed before we went to Tabaki like Matamata? Mata. Matamata. Yeah, without the, without the A in the middle. Oh, yeah. Um, and we went into the home of a Berber family. It's kind of like a tourist thing that they do for money, but it's, you know, it's a home that they inhabit. Um, and they have designs that are similar to Māori, Nihotanifa, Pātiki mats. They, they weave mats that have those kind of designs. And their women have... Um, Tāmoko. Chin moko, yeah. So moko kauai. It's similar. They, they, they have mokokauai on their chin and one of the women that we met she had a mokokauai so who knows not so different maybe mm. there might be some familiarities so yeah we were in Tunisia and then we uh, we were there for five days I think and moved to Italy so Tunisia is not a well visited place and it was actually what was interesting is you know, they I don't fifty Maori in Tunisia, I'm sure people were wondering what what we were doing there. In Italy not so much because the history of the to it is pretty well yeah, known. Yeah, and, and we and Monty has quite good relationships with people and I guess tourism is huge there, so they're used to people going there for different reasons. Um so we shall we start? But isn't it neat to think that our forefathers live on in their stories of their, you know, in their generation stories of 
Actually, that's a good point you make. I mean, even though I work on the Māori Battalion website, and I often get emails from only Italians really saying thank you for your, you know, to your ancestors for liberating our country. I understand that in a, well, in a theoretical way, but when we were there, you really do understand that they are really, really thankful. So you get a different perspective on um, our forefathers' participation in World War Two. They are when we were in, we, so we were when we were in Italy. We went to uh, Florence. We went to Faenza Casino. Uh, we went to small towns as well. Two in particular called Tavanelli that the battalion liberated in a, a smaller place called Pratali. Um, but in Faenza in, in particular, you really see, well, I really saw the appreciation. So we were there and they um, unveiled a memorial to the Allied soldiers um, for, liber for the liberation of Faenza. When we visited Faenza Cemetery, um, there were children, local school children there. We entered into the cemetery and the children, they surrounded the whole cemetery and there were townspeople there as well. We were welcomed by the mayor and other officials. The children of the local school in Faenza, they each have a soldier that they look after oh, in the cemetery. So when we were there, they had lain... Um, so it's kept alive. It is, it is, and they seem to be really um, cognizant of of the sacrifices and so when we were there they lay uh, fresh poppies on each grave so there's um, New Zealanders and um, other soldiers in there or Commonwealth War Grave uh, it's a Commonwealth War Grave cemetery so it's all Commonwealth soldiers buried. you can see how well cared for it is they like there's a, there's a photo of you standing behind a um, gravestone of one of our and uh, you can see how well cared for the graves are. And all of the... How did you meet the kid who looks after that one? I, well, it was interesting <laughs> because, of course, you know, I um, I have never been... I had never visited Wedewede. So Wedewede Rakuraku, um, he is my mother's uncle. In the Māori sense, so not in the, you know, father's brother kind of, but it just let's just say he's my mother's uncle. And he's my father's uncle. Mm. And so he went to war in 1944. He had quite a quick um, training period. So he enlisted in May. He was off to war in the end of June, and he was in Egypt in August. Jeez, Leon, how old was he? He was 20 when he left. That's quite old, actually, for... Um, old respective because a lot of them were younger they lied about their ages and you know they were 15 yeah, and we've heard all they the were stories. 18 <laughs> so that's quite old but so see what I mean when I said you know training period was quite quick they he, they did train in Egypt for a few months but he he was he got his first taste of battle in October so that's quite a now huge... I guess if we put this into context so where do where it comes from to Waimana, uh -huh. a valley, and I mean it's only a small valley, so there's about what 300 people there that live there. Uh -huh. Yeah, about 300 people. Maybe in its heyday there was 400. Um, but when he enlisted, so we're talking 
I mean, only a handful of men enlisted from the valley, right? There were only a few, and from our family, there were three in particular. So Fario Owahi Rakuraku, he went with the 10th reinforcements. Wedewede went with his nephew, Paura, uh, in the 12th reinforcements. So they went off together. Um, but yeah, there, there weren't many. And in, in some ways, that's tied to Tuhoi and our relationship with the Crown. A reluctance to join. Yes, well, a reluctance to <laughs> to fight wars for the crown when mm. we were, we had literally just been battling with the crown only you know twenty years earlier. So it's understandable that we're not jumping up to sacrifice ourselves for um, people we've just been fighting with not so long ago. So where where yeah he went to war. He was in uh, he fought with the battalion in um, Italy, northern Italy, in Faenza. And so he was there in October, and by December he he was killed in action. Yeah, so he was 21 when he died. He, he celebrated his um, birthday in Egypt, and then um, yeah, so he died. So I was maybe only one of three people in our family who have ever visited him. Mm. So um, he's got a number of namesakes though. He does. He's got four, <laughs> four that we know of, and maybe five. Mm. Um, yeah, so that was it was quite an emotional time, and it's not, uh, you know, I, it wasn't unique to me. A lot of us had had um, Papa, who we'd never met before, um, but who were significant people within our within the history of our families and what we understood. Um, so it was, you know, that was just my time to bawl my eyes out, really, <laughs> and um, <laughs> and. Well, in a, in a way, it's because you're carrying all the grief of, you know, his mother, his sisters, his brothers, all your family who don't who didn't get the opportunity to do that. And so that's that's part part of why we were there as well. What we did as well, we carried the grief of, you know, and remembered remembered those people as well. Because it's a long way from home to well, be buried. It's it, oh. And it's so foreign. I mean, Tunisia has to be one of the most foreign places ever. But, yeah, so I think visiting these places, remembering, acknowledging them, but in a real way. So, you know, acknowledging their sacrifice, but we have to we have to really understand what that means for us today and encompass that in our lives and the way we tread within the world. I think that's the real that that's the real take-home message for me anyway is that being in these places seeing I mean there's nothing like standing I mean Casino Cemetery is a great example because there are hundreds of young men dead in that cemetery so you you can't stand there and not be affected by seeing all these gravestones and just knowing that the you know all these men are between fifteen and forty, and so that's just a huge loss of life. So if you're not impacted uh, by that scene, and you're not, you know, it's something to think about and take into the into your everyday life and into the and just understand that the choices that we are allowed to make, in some ways, is because of the sacrifice. You have to kind of make it worth it, I think. Anyway, that's well. That's definitely what I took home from 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 this trip. And I guess, Leanne, 
there's a realization that if a whakapapa line ended, it ended. That's right. And there's um, that's had huge repercussions in terms of how we identify as Māori now. That's right. How we into how we um, the loss of six hundred and forty nine Māori men, so the loss of all that whakapapa, but the loss of their contribution to society, how it then ended up shifting to, on a bigger scale, to women taking over so many roles and how that's played out. I mean, because we're only two generations removed from this, how it's played out for the, you know, for the two generations. And it's not so much about memorialising it. It is, it is about remembering it, isn't it? It's about remembering, and for me, in a real way. So, you know, oft, you know we go to Anzac, um, day ceremonies and it, they're beautiful often there but what do we do after that you know it's one day well it's not even a day it's a time of commemoration but how you know really we need to understand what that service and sacrifice means to us today I don't know if it's because of the work I do and I spend a lot of time with these men <laughs> <laughs> listening to their voices you know reading their stories uploading their letters to the website. So I get a certain aspect of their lives. Uh, I get insight into a certain aspect of their lives. And they're just young men. They're like my nephews. They're like my cousins. You know, they're not profesh they weren't professional soldiers. And if you buy into the whole martial race theory that Māori have kind of made for this, uh, made for, for war, Maybe. I'm not, I don't know that I subscribe to that. You know, Eddie Harpati Ramsden, I think, said we once were, were gardeners, we once were, you know, we were once navigators, we were once, we were more than a, um, a martial race. So don't, even even with those kind of ideas. That seems to be tied in a bit with the noble race yeah. thing too, doesn't it? And I think it, it really had a lot to do with Propaganda, not well, propaganda. I guess they wanted soldiers, and so they're appealing to a certain aspect. You know, they really want people to. They really wanted people to volunteer. But you know, I think about Wede Wede, and he he has no, he had no children. Mm. He had no children, so he has no. That's literally a fuckpapa line, ended, right there. And so we need to. That you know, those are the things we need to be mindful of when we're thinking about this history.